Look at you, man. We both got our books in the background. I guess that's predictable. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's actually that's just a, that's just a screen. That's not actually books. That's just a a fake backdrop so I can look smarter than I am. Oh, that's a green screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you, man? Thanks for getting well, up. It's gonna take more. It's gonna take more than books for that, man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I appreciate that. Uh, well, hey, let's jump hey, into man. this, man. I know you got a busy day. And uh, we'll just jump into that. So I really appreciate it. As I had mentioned to you, um, I'm leading a group in my church, about 20 of us, through a year-long intensive study. We we're calling it the Issachar Fellowship, that reference uh, in the Old Testament, to the men of Issachar that knew God, they knew the times, and what should be done yep. about them. And so we've got a lot in our church, as Love it. exists in many other churches, that just they know what's going on in this world, and they want to be better equipped to be faithful with the gospel, both in evangelism, but then just in social activism. They, there's this general desire here of understanding that the good news of the gospel isn't just for your eternal salvation, that the good news of Jesus Christ is for every day and for our cities and our society. And um, So as it comes to you know reaching out to you, the focus for September in our group is the nature of God, the nature of man, and the nature of marriage. And of course, you and, and John wrote this fantastic book titled same-sex marriage, which is required reading for our, our group. Um, we're excited just to talk to you, Sean. Our group's got some questions for you, and uh, really appreciate okay. you coming on this morning. Let's do it. Sounds right. great. Good, Rock and good roll. group. So as you've uh, obviously written on it, you've speaking, spoken on this issue and uh, other issues related to sexuality and, and whatnot, what's some of the criticism you've received? And I imagine you've been criticized both within the church and outside the church. Uh, what's some of the criticism that you've given, and it doesn't have to be just personally given, what's some of the criticism you hear as it relates to the way the church has handled the issues of same-sex marriage, homosexuality, uh, gender? What, what's been that pushback or feedback that you've, you've, you've witnessed? Well, a, a few things. And you said it doesn't have to be personal, but on this issue, and I would say the transgender issue as well, if you take a biblical stand, expect to be personally criticized. Hands down, there's no way outside of it from within the church and from without the church. The most common strategy, sadly to say this, I think the, from among many who are revisionists, not all of them, is just to turn and personally attack and question somebody's character, question their integrity, question whether you actually know somebody who's gay, question whether you care about the fact that transgender and people with same-sex attraction are more likely to attempt and consider suicide. And that's true, and of course I do. My point is simply to say, if you speak up on this issue, the playbook is to attack somebody as being hateful and bigoted. That's a part of the playbook, and that's what's to be expected. Now, as far as criticism of the issues, I think one of the main things that people point out is the inconsistency amongst say the evangelical right or conservatives on this, that we're okay with divorce and arguably birth control uh, for reasons that seem to overlap with some of the arguments that we make against same-sex marriage. So pornography is rampant within the church. Uh, even number of Christians who will have abortion or be pro-choice. A lot of criticism is to flip back and say, look at you Christians, you're speaking, but you don't have your act together. You're being inconsistent. And to be honest with you, Mike, I think there's some truth to this. Mm. I think yeah. that's why John and, I, John and I write in our book, the first thing that the church needs to do is repent 
is look inside and ask, have we had an attitude towards people on the outside that is not biblical and Christ-like? Have we been inconsistent in our own lives? And try to root that out. And I've tried to do that. I'm not going to sit here and say I have it all together and lack any inconsistency, but this issue has forced me to look at my life and say, okay, why do I hold this and not that view? Am I being consistent? Am I really being faithful to Scripture? Yeah. So those are some of the big ones. People will push back on some of the arguments here and there. We could talk about those if you want to, but those are some of the bigger ones. And frankly, I just wrote a, a separate chapter for a book on marriage, and I said this. I said it's not as if case for marriage has been heard and rejected. The reality is the case for natural marriage hasn't even been heard. Yeah, And that's within, within the church and outside of it. So the vast majority of pushbacks are misunderstanding, whether intentional or unintentional, and they don't even take the time to really understand the careful argumentation that's being offered yeah. uh, for marriage. So let's let's definitely get there in just a second. What is that case for marriage? And, and let's try to get, get there in a very clear way. But even before that, I appreciate what you had said, that there's a bit of groundwork that, that needs to be done here from the Christian community. Because on one hand, I think we can take the criticism of inconsistency or perhaps our behavior that we haven't been loving. And we, we can take that and we can use it as a refining aspect and our lives are part of our own sanctification. So I think you're right that that step one, perhaps, in the way that the church or even individually were to address this is by uh, cleaning up our own lives and saying, you're right, there is an inconsistency here. You're exactly right. We agree with you. Shame on us. Forgive us of these things. And then commit to um, a standard of holiness in all things. Now, I think so we, we could agree with that. But then we would also would agree that just because we're inconsistent here, does not mean that we're wrong here. And that's a fair thing to point out to people. I agree. So I even just, I guess, getting to that then, how would you clearly state what is the case for marriage? Of course, granting that, yes, you're right, this criticism. We need to uh, be better here. We need to be more holy here. We need to be more consistent here. Agreeing with you on that. What though then is the case for marriage? Now, do you want a biblical case or a non-biblical case? I want an unbiblical case. Uh, no, okay. I'm kidding. Don't the Bible. No, no, man. You, right, no, that's good. Pointing out the two different ways to make the case would be a, a biblical approach and then perhaps a natural law approach. So you, you pick or yeah. choose. Start with one, lead to the other, or just focus on one that's your call, man. Okay, so w- one of my mentors and friends, uh, I'm sure you probably know him as Kirby Anderson. And Kirby would often say, when it comes to the wider culture I live in, I don't reason from the Bible, I reason to the Bible. Meaning that he assumes the biblical worldview is true and describes reality as it actually is. But in making a case for people who don't hold the Bible as authoritative, we point to science, philosophy, history, common sense, to make a case that ultimately matches up with what the scripture teaches as being true. And I think tactically that's a wise common sense approach. So if I'm speaking to someone who's not a a Christian, there's a few ways you can do this, but in the book we lay out three steps that Maggie Gallagher first penned. I think she's right. She said, number one is that sex makes babies. Now that might seem really obvious to you and me, (laughs) but I'm I'm telling you, Mike, I, I sent out a tweet a while ago about this quote by John Wooden that says the best thing a father can do for his kids is to love his kid's mom. Mm, And this guy tweeted back and says, are you saying kids need a mom and dad? I said, well, that seems to be what John Wooden is saying. 
and he goes, how arbitrary and bigoted. And I thought, oh, my word. We have actually hit the point in culture. Yeah. We have to defend that kids need a mom and dad and that sex by its very nature is a baby-making act. That's the kind of act that it is. So we have to remind people that. But yeah. second, second is society needs babies. So there's a reason why governments with essentially universally, you might find a small exception here and there, essentially universally recognize that marriage is a man and a woman in a committed relationship for life. They might have said a man might have multiple women, but there always was a gender requirement when it came to marriage, <laughs> at least a man and at least a woman. And there's a reason why the government would recognize this and it wouldn't care about like, say your tennis partner or something like that. Because it's kids in the family unit that, it's the family unit that produces kids that become the adults for the next generation. And all studies show, and it's kind of common sense, that kids need a mom and a dad to grow up and be, as a whole, of course there's exceptions, but as a whole it's the best environment for kids to grow up and be productive members of society in the future. Studies show that. So governments need babies, so to speak. And that's why countries like Japan, countries like Europe, are just are, are dying away because they don't have a big enough replacement rate. So as the population ages, they're collapsing economically and within. A lot of countries in Europe, you're seeing this in Japan. So sex makes babies. Society needs babies. Number three, babies need a mom and a dad. That's it. Yeah. And I could, I could develop this. I've actually looked at dozens and dozens of arguments, articles, and there's a premise that seems to be assumed in a lot of research on this, that mom and mom or dad and dad is equivalent, in fact, sometimes even better than a mom and a dad. This is the premise that's pushed all over the place. So I decided to track down a ton of these articles and read them firsthand. And I'm telling you, it's a small sample size. It's a completely biased sample size. It's bad sociological research. Yeah. In fact, last year, a meta study was done just comparing these. And they said the reality is minimally the idea that a mom and a mom is equal to a mom and dad is not substantiated. And there's sociological evidence pointing against it. And I think that's the case. But in reality, it's kind of common sense. We know yeah. a mom and a dad adds something different to kids. So I wrote a, I just wrote a, a post yesterday talking about beach balls and the sexual revolution. And I made the point that Barack Obama was the very first president that became in favor of same-sex marriage, which says a dad and a dad or a mom and a mom is equivalent. Gender balance doesn't matter for marriage. But when it came to the Supreme Court, his first two nominees were females. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the court needed balance. Right. So you can't have it both ways. Why? His worldview says kids don't need a mom and dad. But when it's all said and done, he knows men and women think, relate, and act yeah. differently. So that's a simple case. Sex makes babies. Society needs babies. Babies need a mom and a dad of making a biblical case for marriage without even to use marriage. And, of course, a ton of objections raised, but that's how I would simply yeah. begin the case. So – you know, to answer another question, many would say, you know, some of the pushback is, why is this even a big deal to you Christians? Why do you care what people are doing in their own homes, in their own lives? Why do you care who somebody loves? Well, the, the answer sounds like to me that you're saying is Christians ob um, 
we're interested in this because of a common good and something that is basic and understood intuitively that there is difference in moms and dads and there's a value in a mom and a dad and it's something that it seemingly the broader culture does recognize because right we would violently react or object not violently necessarily in actions but we would vehemently object to a male only supreme court or a female only supreme court we we recognize uh inherently or intuitively whatever the way to say that is that there's there's difference in the genders, there's beauty, there's value in each of them. So the reason why Christians are even involved in this in the first place is for the common good, and sociological research seems to confirm that. That's that's the point, right? Yeah, and I, I would also say if someone said, why do you, you know, you Christians care, I'd say, first off, it's not just Christians. There's a lot of different yeah. religious folks, and there's even, although it's a minority, there are some non-religious folks, including skeptics and atheists, who say actually marriage between a man and a woman is best for society. So it tends to be Christians who believe God designed the world and marriage to function a certain way, but it's not exclusively. So Second, a, go ahead. No, so I would say so as it relates to uh, same-sex marriage, sexuality, gender issues, it's not exclusively a religious matter. Those that would push back and say don't force your religious views on us. Well, that's not entirely what we're doing here. Certainly our religious views do conform. Uh, they match what is the common good here, but it's it's too simple to simply say this is a religious issue. It's not exclusively that, right? Well, it is a religious issue, but it's much more, more than, than that, right? So if I were not a Christian, I would still be in favor of natural marriage. Because number one, that's how the world operates. That's what marriage actually is. Second, the government shouldn't be intentionally misrepresenting reality. And third, natural marriage is what's best for kids. Religious ideas aside, people should be in favor of natural marriage. And I read the Supreme Court case very carefully, Obergefell versus Hodges. I don't know if you've read or not, but some people in your group, you ought to read it. And the response is, it's not that long. It's online. And I'm just telling you, the arguments that were made are so weak and just so unbecoming of a justice of the Supreme Court, such as Kennedy, that it's kind of embarrassing, mm. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. to sh which just shows you that this agenda was not about what marriage is. It's not about reason. It's driven by further agendas and beliefs importing that upon the law. So we Christians yeah. need to be ready to make a simple case for marriage. But also I'd throw out there, I'd say we're not sitting here, you know, I didn't write that book and having this conversation because we didn't make better arguments. Mm. We're here because largely our culture told better stories. Yeah. Will, stories, you know, Joe Biden, I don't agree with him on much, but he said Will and Grace did more to advance gay rights than anything else. Yeah. And I think he's right. So how do Those, we... Like, so how do we uh, engage in that matter? I mean, the, the reputation that we have on this issue and so many others is that we, it's not right just that we have bad arguments, but um, that there's the whole the context that our position comes from is we're bigots, we're hate-filled, uh, we don't have the good of others in mind. So how do we begin to change our reputation in that? How do we begin to tell better stories? What's, what's the way forward for the person in the pew and kind of churches from a congregational standpoint? How do we work towards restoring our image, our reputation on this, and just tell better stories? 
I think we need to follow the lead of Dan Cathy, who's the president of Chick-fil-A. About three, four years ago, you'll probably remember that Chick-fil-A, because he made a statement defending natural marriage on radio, there was a huge outcry, huge campaign, don't go to Chick-fil-A, they're hateful. Certain cities and airports, even like Denver, tried to deny them the right to have a restaurant there for a while. There was a National Day campaign where people showed up and frankly did really rude things in the name of diversity and tolerance and <laughs> inclusiveness, all against Chick-fil-A. Well, what Dan Cathy did is he reached out to a man by the name of Shane Windemeyer, who was the gay man who planned this entire campaign against Chick-fil-A. And he said, look, let's get coffee. Let's get lunch. Let's just talk. I want to get to know you. Tell me your story. And I have a whole quote not right in front of me, but Shane Windemeyer essentially says, and Dan Cathy and I met. He showed interest in my life, my business. He even showed interest in my husband, Tommy, and wanted to hear about it. But he made no apologies for his views on marriage. Hmm. And I thought that's exactly what we need to do. In fact, at the end of her book, The Silencing, Kristen Powers, who's a liberal Christian, interestingly enough, she writes the book in the end. She's talking about how there's not just this issue, but a ton of this illiberal, like to the left of liberals is how she describes it. Movement meant on just silencing difference, silencing dissent, and bullying people. She gets to the very end, and there's like one paragraph on her solution. She simply says, Christians need to get out there and build relationships with yeah. people, to listen to people. They need to get to know people. And what that does is when you look at somebody eye to eye, it's harder to just dehumanize somebody. You realize that they're much more in common with you than you think. And if Christians do a good job of just listening, affirming people, not necessarily ideas or beliefs, and just loving people, then this animosity breaks down. So I think the bottom line when somebody hears, oh, those Christians are bigoted, hate, but intolerant, the only way to overcome that is when their first thought is, you know, I've got a neighbor who's a Christian, yeah. and this person, maybe, maybe Christians aren't that way. Yeah, so the, the the inflammatory rhetoric and hate, you know, hateful comments directed towards Christians, they almost need to fall in deaf ears because let's say you're hearing the media characterize Christians in a certain way. You want we want that experience where right? we want our neighbor to go has have they actually met a Christian because they're they're not like that. And so, I guess to your point, we get to know we need to get to know in a very meaningful, genuine way the person behind the positions that we disagree with because it's easy to vilify a position and attack it and use language there you know in kind to to make a point but when you're sitting down with somebody over coffee you get to know who they are what they're like and uh, so I think that's a great point just step one um, Christians we need to have a very clear understanding we need to have good arguments but where are we going to use these arguments? Use them in relationships. So invite people into your homes. Build these bridges. Uh, I think that's a great, great idea. And here's the thing to keep in mind. Last year I took 25, maybe 30 high school students to Berkeley. You know about these trips. We bring in atheists, agnostics, and we train our students how to ask good questions, defend their faith. And we brought in a man in his 50s, a gay man who's an atheist. Grew up, his father is still a pastor. We asked him to just speak to our group and share his story and allow us to ask questions. So it wasn't a debate. We didn't make arguments. We tried to understand him. We asked some tough questions. And at one point, he described how when he came out to his parents, they completely just rejected him, denied him, closed the door of relationships. 
Years later, he was trying to restore it. Now, in 2007, a decade ago, he was in his 40s. He was a professional CPA, and he had a bunch of properties in that, that he lost because of the economic downturn. He said to our group, he said, I almost lost everything. So as a 40-year-old man, I went to my parents to see if they could just help me. I mean, imagine the humiliation to do yeah. that. Then I went to my parents. I said, would you be willing to help me just for a season? His mom and dad, who is a pastor, says we can't help you because we think this is God's way of judging and correcting your sin and bringing you back. And when he shared that story afterwards, one of my students, we were debriefing and she just broke down and started crying. Why? Because at another point we asked him what he thought of Christians. He said, I couldn't even be friends with Christians who think I'm going to hell. And he had this view of this judgmental, hateful, just wrathful God. And it hit her. She said, oh my goodness. He has no one in his life who's grace-filled and loving and kind who's a Christian. So that's the lens by which he sees this entire issue. If If his heart is not softened by Christians loving on him, all of our arguments are going to fall on deaf ears. Yeah. So get off Facebook and go find somebody and build a relationship, love them, meet their needs, care for them, especially if they're within your own family. Those that don't think like us, at the very least, have to know us and know that we are loving. And then that gives them the context to take our words as loving. But when all they hear are the arguments, it's very easy to just view yourselves as an enemy. Um, And so, man, that's, that's good, good advice. That's a good place just to stop this, that we do have good arguments for our positions concerning marriage and gender and sexuality. We need to master those arguments. Your book is a great place for that. Our, our, our church is already benefiting it from it. But where we're going to use these arguments is in relationship, and it is upon us to go out, befriend people, build relationships so that they can see and experience the goodness of God along with the goodness of what is true that we have come to understand so sean man i know you're busy really appreciate you taking the time out this morning looking forward to catching up with you in person sometime soon yeah you bet happy to do it hey let me let me say one last thing and then we'll wrap up yeah because it relates to our conversation so if our culture has been changed more by stories then what's the value of arguments number one the bible commands us to make a defense number two we are losing christians from within who simply don't know what marriage is and how to make a case for it. They have no idea. I've traveled around the country and I speak to Christian groups and I'll role play an atheist. I've role played a Muslim. I've role played pro-choice and I've role played the arguments for same-sex marriage. I'm telling you, within two minutes, Christians don't have anything. Yeah. Well, if, if people in this group and beyond don't understand from Genesis 1 and 2 through Matthew 19 when God affirms the – when Jesus affirms the created order – then when these stories and conversations come up and they meet someone who's gay, who's nice, then they fall away. So we've got to start within the church. So I applaud you. I applaud your group doing this. It's fantastic. Last thing I'll say is even though I'm an apologist and I like to make the case and reason and have good arguments, not be argumentative, but good arguments with people, I actually spend a lot more time listening in particular on this issue. Mm. I think one of the best skills we need is to just listen. And over and over again, I meet kids who come out to their families 
and it's devastating. Their parents don't show grace. They don't show love. They close the door. And this is not all Christians, but I meet a lot of young Christians in so much fear. And what we need to do is prep ourselves ahead of time to become the kind of people with a tenderness and a gentleness around this issue, not angry people who are speaking out trying to correct the world. Then that's a voice our culture is just not used to. They're not used to people with conviction, but who are also kind. Yeah. Well, I pray this group time will uh, will develop that in the people in your group. Thanks for having me. Keep up the good work. Dude, appreciate it, man. Seriously, uh, I'll take the chance just to say thanks for all you do. I, I, I seemingly weekly meet somebody that has uh, benefited from your generosity, man. You're, you're a great networker and uh, setting people up like Kozak, for example, this week. Turns out he and I oh, knew cool. each other from five years ago. And uh, you played a big role in that. So, man, that's just who you are. You're a good guy. Appreciate it, dude. And uh, until next time. Keep up the good work, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Take care. Bye.